braving the weather today. Uh, glad you're here. I really am. Glad to be here with you as well. Uh, amen to the beginning of the worship this morning. Thank you for the songs. Thank you for the reading of the scriptures. Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. I just love that line. In fact, that's, that's right in line with what we're going to talk about today. If you've been with us for the past several weeks and months, we've been doing this book study through the book of Ephesians, and we titled that theme through the book of Ephesians. Does someone want to shout it out? I heard it. I heard it. It wasn't all unison, but I heard it. Lifestyles of the rich and godly was the theme through the book of Ephesians. And then if you remember, we had the holidays and we took a break a couple weeks and we spoke a couple lessons on, on the Christmas season and things like that. But now we want to dive back into Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, Pastor Mel started that this past week, uh, looking at the beginning of chapter 6. So we're going to just continue where he left off, but we are going to tweak the title a little bit from Lifestyles of the Rich and Godly to Battles of the Rich and Godly. And the reason we're doing that is because Ephesians chapter 6 is famous. You guys know that, right? It's, it's famous. It's popular. Even in common culture, people kind of know Ephesians 6 is the armor of God passage. So the temptation was before Christmas to sort of rush and see if we could finish this before the end of the year. I remember thinking, can we pull that off? And I'm glad we didn't because this passage we're looking at deserves time. And so what we're going to do now is we're actually going to shorten it excuse me, shorten the passages, that is, that we take each Sunday, but we're actually going to lengthen the series by doing this over the next several weeks because I just think this passage deserves it. So for the next several weeks, we're going to do this theme, Battles of the Rich and Godly, and we'll explain that as we go along. But did you ever have to accomplish something bigger than you? Did you ever have to accomplish something bigger than you? We got like a little illustration of my illustration this morning with the snowfall. Does anyone remember what happened on March 13th 2017. Think back about three years ago, going to a three-year anniversary, March 13th, 2017. I gave you a little bit of a hint. Who remembers what happened? Big snowstorm. Do you guys remember snowstorm Stella? You guys remember that? About three years ago? No one remembers that? Wow, we remember. Not very good here. But storm, winter storm Stella was the name of this storm that came in to Northeast PA. And I grew up in Northeast PA, like many of you guys did. I'd seen a lot of snow. We had the blizzard of 93, the blizzard of 96, right? We had several snowstorms like that. And I remember them prepping us for Winter Storm Stella, saying, this is going to be a big one. This one looks like it's going to hit us directly. It's coming right into the line of our, of our state. Be ready. And you remember all the people rushing out to the store, right? And getting the bread and the water and making bunkers in their backyard, so they could survive the winter storm. I remember doing that as well, going to Weiss and being all panicked, doing, we have to have bread and milk. But I, if you remember these kind of like um, weather reports, sometimes they just don't work out the way that they say. They'll tell you it's going to be a huge winter storm, and sometimes it turns out to be an inch or two, right? And I remember being skeptical about winter storm Stella, going, ah, it's probably not going to be that big a deal. We're talking like four or five inches at most. In fact, I remember predicting that to Janine, saying, Janine, I'm telling you, five inches tops. Winter Storm Stella is not going to turn out to be any big deal. And then it came. And it started to snow. And once the skies opened up, it really didn't stop snowing. It was falling at the rate of two to three inches an hour, they said. And it snowed all night long. And I think most of the next day it snowed as well. It was a long, long storm. And I remember looking out in the midst of the storm going, okay, it's a big one. <laughs> this one definitely hit us. This isn't four to five inches because we had well surpassed that in the first couple hours. It was like eight inches already. And I remember waking up the next day, and the sky was kind of clear, and uh, we didn't have a snowplow. We didn't have a snowblower. I was the snowplow and the snowblower. And I, I remember grabbing my trusty shovel 
and my winter gloves and my winter hat and opening the garage like this, ready to face winter storm Stella. And as I opened the, the garage, I just remember going like that, just the jaw hanging open and going, wow, that is a lot of snow. And after we measured it, it turned out it was 30 inches of snow. 30 inches of snow, winter storm Stella dumped on Northeast PA. Was it that bad in the valley? Because we got nailed in the summer. You guys got it as well? And so I just remember going, okay, well, we got to get the snow off our driveway. So, right, the journey of a thousand steps be, or a thousand miles begins with one step. So you just begin to shovel. And it wasn't even there was like you could start at the bottom and pick it up. You sort of had to chop away at it. And two or three shovels before you actually got one shovel full. And I remember going, man, this is going to take a long time. And some of those pictures I put up there on the slide kind of show you what we were dealing with. The first two ones that you're seeing up there was after like an hour and a half of shoveling. And you could tell how much dent we made in that uh, driveway. It wasn't very much at all. And so it was a daunting task. And we had this guy living with us, a friend living with us, who was renting our downstairs. And I said, Jake, we're going to be here a while. And we were. So Jake and I just started to shovel and shovel and shovel and shovel. And by day one, we had to stop because the snow was coming again. And it was going to dump another five or six inches. So we just had to quit for the day. And then the next day, we went out again. And the third day, we went out again. Three days of shoveling, just this, it wasn't a huge driveway. You remember that driveway there on South Abington Road? It was big-ish, but 30 inches of snow, where do you put it? And after a while, the, the piles on both sides just started to be too big. I couldn't put the snow there, so we actually had to travel with the snow and find somewhere to put it. <laughs> and I just remember my arms being like jello, you know, just like, oh, I can't shovel another thing. But we actually got to where it was like 90% done. And that hope kind of fills your soul going, okay, we're close. We're almost at the finish line here. But if you know what, the <laughs> there's my slap happy look up there. But if you know what happens when the plows come out, right? Now, we lived on a busy road. We lived on South Abington Road in Clark Summit, a really busy road. And when the plows come out, they're not concerned about the driveways, are they? They're concerned about the roads. And they got to get the, the snow off the road. So they take the snow and push it off the roads. But it just happens to put it right on top of your driveway. And I remember getting to the where we were not like 90% done and realizing we're close, but we weren't even close at all. Because now there was like another 30 inches on top of the 30 inches that we had to get off. And it was like brutal, backbreaking shoveling. Finally, we did. Finally, we got to the end. And I think there's a picture up there of the finished result. We got most of the snow off the driveway. You, you can't even tell how much snow it is there. It's, it's just crazy. But we got all the snow off the driveway, and I went in. And, you know, it's kind of like cold out, but you're hot. It's that weird mix of being cold and hot at the same time and just not wanting to do anything for the rest of the week going, I'm done. You know, I don't need to join a gym this week. I don't need to join a gym this year. I'm good for a while. So that was something that was definitely bigger than us. It was bigger than me, but we actually, by God's grace, were able to do it. We're going to talk about something like that today, something that's bigger than us. And the title of the lesson today is going to be called Mission Impossible, Defeating the Devil. Mission Impossible, Defeating the Devil. And we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. And this is the classic armor of God passage, but we're just going to dip our toes into it this morning and chop it up a little bit, and we're just going to resume the next couple weeks. So follow along as I read verses 10 to 13 of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, 
against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. May the Lord bless the teaching of his word today. Our title is Mission Impossible Defeating the Devil. We're at the last leg of Ephesians. We've taken about 15, 16 weeks already to preach through Ephesians. It's not that long of a book, but there's so much in it that it's taken us this long to get here. So we're at the last leg of the journey. If any of you are runners, you know that the last leg is always the hardest leg, right? It's always the lengthiest, most tiring leg, just kind of like I was telling you about the, sh- about the snowstorm. And like I said, we're going we're gonna to jog through the rest of Ephesians 6. We're not going to sprint. This is an incredibly important text, and I want to get as much as we can from this really important text. So is it okay that we go slow through a really important text and get a lot out of it? That's our plan. And we tweaked our theme, I told you, from lifestyles of the rich and godly to battles of the rich and godly because Paul says you're in a battle. You're in a battle. You're in a war. And we're in this spiritual struggle against the spirits of darkness. A spiritual struggle against the spirits of darkness. And guys, this is real life. And I don't mean to dumb it down with the title or the theme that we have because this is very serious. This battle is incredibly serious. And it's very real. And it's really important for us to listen to today. And I hope you will listen to it today. I hope you'll open your ears and your minds, even if you've heard many lessons like I have on Ephesians chapter 6. I hope you will listen to at least the reminder we have today that we are in a really brutal spiritual battle with someone who's really strong. It's easy to make this text stand on its own. And that's what I've heard a lot growing up is people just zoom right to Ephesians chapter 6 and say, let's just teach about the armor of God. But I think it's nice that we went through the entire book of Ephesians and arrived here because we have to remember our primary goal, our primary objective is not to defeat the devil. I hope you know that. We went through five chapters, part of six already, that told us we have a goal. We have a really big, important goal, and our goal, our primary goal, is not defeating the devil. Defeating the devil is a means to doing two things, glorifying God and doing God's will. And based on what we've read or what we've studied through the first four and five chapters of Ephesians, I want to remember what we've talked about, go on a little bit of a reminder and a review, because Paul says this word, finally. He says, finally, as if to say, this is the culmination of everything I've taught you, finally. And we have to remember a little bit what we've learned from the first five chapters of Ephesians. First, uh, the first three chapters talked about God's great grace and God's great salvation that came to us by Jesus Christ. Three chapters Paul took to say, this is what you've received because of God's grace. Did he have to? I don't know. The Ephesians were people who were already walking in the truth of the gospel. But for three chapters, Paul sought fitting and necessary to share with them once again why they are what they are, why they have hope, why they have life, why they have confidence and security in their soul. He wanted to give the glory to God for that. And so he did. And then we turn the page to chapter 4, and that's where he starts giving us all of these exhortations, all of these things to do. And honestly, guys, if you read the Bible, the Bible is basically full of that one pattern. Here's what God has done for you. Here's what you have received based on God's great grace. And now here's what you should do based on that. That's the entire model of Scripture. 
Here's what God has done. Here's what you should do based on that. So in chapter 4, that's what Paul starts telling us, what we should do. These are your goals, Christian. If you have received the great grace of God through Jesus Christ, these are your goals. In chapter 4, he said this in verses 1 to 16, walk worthy of your calling. Walk worthy of your calling. Together, walk worthy of your calling. God has given you special gifts and abilities so as to walk worthy of your calling, so as to invest in the church. And that's what each of us are supposed to do. And that's a really big task, to walk worthy of your calling. Based on what God has given you, live worthy of that. And if we're going to use chapter 6 to cement this even further, we're going to say it this way. Because a battle is raging. A battle is raging. In chapter 4, verses 17 to 32, Paul said, No longer live like a sinner, Christian. Put off the old deeds and put on the new deeds that please your God. Because the old man is now dead. The old man is God-hating. And the new man is God-glorifying. So put off that old man. Put on the new man. And we could say it again this way. Because a battle is raging. A battle is raging. In chapter 5, he said this to us. Imitate your God and walk in love. In verses 1 to 2. Imitate your God. Be like God. How God loves is how you should love because a battle is raging. In verses 3 to 21, he said, Put to death the sinful deeds you used to live for and try and discern what the will of the Lord is. Try to figure out what is God's will by looking into his scriptures and put off the old man. Put him to death. Put those deeds to death because a battle is raging. The end of chapter 5 was a very specific instruction to husbands and wives. He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Why? Because the earthly marriage represents something much, much bigger than that. It represents your eternal union with Jesus Christ. And because a battle is raging. We've been noticing this all leading up to chapter 6. In chapter 6 last week, Pastor Mel taught us from this passage, and it says, Children, obey your parents. Parents, train your children properly. Servants, submit to your masters. Masters, treat your servants well. Because we all serve the one true God, don't we? Regardless of role, regardless of what God has called us to, we are all serving the same person, the one true God. And these are ways to do just that. And because a battle is raging. And now... In chapter 6, starting in verse 12, we receive from God our impossible mission. Because of all what the Apostle Paul has taught us up to this point is not from the Apostle Paul. It's from God himself. Paul was God's servant. Paul was God's mouthpiece. Paul said only what God told him to say. These goals that he gave us are directly from heaven. Directly from the mouth of God. And today we have to understand there's someone who hates God. There's someone who hates God's people. There's someone who wants to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. Satan. The devil himself. Satan is real, guys. He's real. He's not a Halloween costume with red skin, pointy horns, a tail and a pitchfork. He's the true evil spirit. The leader of all evil spirits. And he exists to do this one thing. To destroy us. And to thwart the work of God upon the earth. 
You know that, right? You know we have a real enemy. We know we have a real battle raging on with that real enemy. And before we study who we're up against, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us that we need something crucial in order to accomplish this impossible mission. We're going to need strength. We're going to need strength. In fact, we're going to need divine strength in order to accomplish this important, incredibly important mission. We're going to need God's strength. We all know that strength is important to do great things, right? Athletes need strength to be good athletes. Parents need strength to parents, right? Parents need strength for that. Teachers need strength to teach. Leaders need strength to lead. Laborers need strength to labor. Pastors, trust me, need strength to pastor. But strength is needed anytime something difficult is required, right? We need strength. That's why a lot of people go to the gym and get strong. There's strength that can help us. And we all like to think that we're independently strong upon our own. We do. That's a common trap to fall into, to think that we're naturally strong people. All those Facebook posts that tell us, you got this, girl. You can do this. You're stronger than you think you are. This is nothing for you. They all prove us that we believe there's strength within us that we get the credit for. Strength that we have worked on. Strength that defines who we are and our inner being. But then we come to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and Paul tells us this. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Is Paul telling us that strength is overrated? Of course not. He's telling us quite the contrary, that he's commanding us to be strong because we're going to need it for something really, really difficult. But Paul's not giving us a self-help pep talk here, is he? He's not telling us things that I just said before. He's obviously saying the opposite of those. Things like this. You don't got this, Christian. You can't do this, Christian. You're weaker than you think, Christian. This is bigger than you, Christian. But we need to listen to his words again because Paul says this in a hope-filled phrase. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It sounds a little depressing to hear that we're weak. It sounds a little depressing to hear that we have a really strong enemy. It sounds a little depressing to hear that we're in a battle. Those aren't the things I want to share. Those aren't things I want to hear myself. Because we're Americans. We live in the strongest nation of the world. And we've been told all our lives that we're strong and we're independent people. We Americans have used the phrase, pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, right? We're strong. We're independent. We do things ourselves. We don't rely upon anyone else. We pride ourselves in defending, excuse me, depending upon no one but ourselves. Good Americans are strong and don't need any outside help. But doctrine is important to Christians because we're not talking about sports. We're not talking about really good, being generally good parents or generally good teachers. We're not talking about being strong Americans who own rifles and work in factories. We're talking about accomplishing the will of God in a world that hates God. In a world that is starkly against God. Just as they were against our Lord Jesus when he was on the earth. That was hard, wasn't it? It was hard for Jesus to walk the path that he walked because he was hated. He was spoken against. He was rejected. God's will was hated. God himself was rejected. And when God says to us that you and I need strength in order to do his will, we need to listen. 
If we don't, then we're tragically not going to go to God for his strength. And if we don't go to God for his strength, we're tragically not going to succeed. Neglecting to do the will of God is not an option. Can I say that again? Neglecting to do the will of God is not an option. So be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And this truth tells us another thing. We must not only be strong, but we can be strong. We can be strong. Because according to scripture, we're weak on our own. We're weak people. But we don't have to remain weak. You and I do not have to remain weak. God wants our success so much that he's made his strength and his might available to us weak people. See, God would never tease us with his strength, ever. If God commands us to get his strength, then it's ours for the taking. Once again, God wants our success upon the earth for his glory more than you and I want his glory. So God is saying to us today, come get it. Come get my strength. I have strength for you, child. I have strength to give you. I want you to have my strength. You need it. Come get it. And I want you to consider what it means to have God's strength. To have God's strength. You and I can be equipped with God's might. Isn't that almost hard to believe? That I can be equipped with God's power, God's strength, God's might. Whatever motives people have for telling us how strong we are independently. Imagine how motivating it would be here to hear that you can be strong like God. As God is strong, so you can be strong. Wouldn't that be motivating? Shouldn't that be motivating to hear that today? That we can be strong like God is strong? Because imagine what we could accomplish. Imagine what we could accomplish with God's strength. Imagine how that might change the peace, the hope, and the security we have in this world if we were strong like God's. Everyone wants to be strong, guys. All those superhero movies, I think, that are out today are kind of proving that to us. When I was younger and we'd watch these superhero movies, I remember saying to my brother things like, how great would it be to be fast like the Flash? Or strong like Superman? Or have x-ray vision? How great would it be to have these actual strong guy traits? Wouldn't that be great to actually have these in the world? And now Paul says to us today, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Why would he say that unless we can? And we must. And now we turn our attention to why we need God's strength. Because this is what he says in verse 11. This is where we really need to listen. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is serious. This is serious. There's an epic battle raging on this very moment between the spiritual sides of good and evil. And it's such an intense and crucial battle that along with God's strength, Paul tells us we need the entire armor of God. We need God's strength and we need the entire armor of God in order to accomplish this mission. Wow. This is the impossible mission. This is the impossible mission because God doesn't waste any resources. We do all the time. We waste things all the time. God never wastes his resources. If we are told that we need God's power and God's armor, it's because the task we are given requires it. Because that's how God works. 
God doesn't waste resources. He doesn't tell us things in vain. He doesn't hand out his tools in vain. If God says, come get my strength, he's telling us, you need it. You can't do this without it. Come get my strength. You're going to need it. Arm yourselves with every piece of my armor because you need it. This battle that is raging is intense. It's real. God can see it. He knows it. You and I, we often don't see the battle. Sometimes we just see the physical realm only and we go, ah, maybe, maybe Satan's just a Halloween costume. Maybe it's just a punchline. Maybe there's not actually a battle going on, but God is telling us from his perspective, it is going on and you need my strength. Consider what he says in verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Do you know what the word schemes mean? I I looked up the word schemes and it says, to make plans, especially in a devious way, or with intent to do something illegal or wrong that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Satan's evil plans against you, that you can stand against those. Because Satan has been perfecting his attacks for thousands of years. He's equipped. He's smart in a devious way. He's brutal. He has no regard for our feelings, no regard for our spiritual welfare. He wants us destroyed And I want you to consider what it would be like to stand against the schemes of the devil. Has anyone ever been to the shore on one of those really intense days where the waves are really big? You ever been to the shore where the waves are really big and you go in the water and some of those waves knock you around? Sorry, Dad. But uh, (laughs) about 20 years ago, my family went to the beach in Florida. My dad... um, my brother, a couple friends of ours, we went to the beach in Florida. My dad, as you know, is a good-sized guy. <laughs> but he went into the water. My dad went into the water, and I saw a wave completely sweep my dad off his feet and throw him onto his face. And, yeah, yeah, he got all bruised and bloodied up by that wave. And I was, like, shocked, going, wow, I've never seen my dad tossed around like that. Never since. But that day I saw a wave completely knock him off his feet. And I thought, if a wave can knock down Mel Walker that easily, then who could stand against a wave? Right? Who could stand against the power of a really strong wave? And isn't the answer probably no one? Probably no one, because waves are stronger than people. Water is stronger than people. In fact, I would say it this way. Waves are mighty and powerful, way more than any man is. And that's a decent analogy for what we're talking about today. Because we're going to read on about our enemy. He says this, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, we're talking today about our murderous opponent, and we need to respect his strength. We need to respect his strength. We don't need to respect him, but we need to respect the strength and the craftiness that our devil has against us. What would it take for you to stand against the strongest man of the universe? What would it take for you to stand your ground against the best fighter in the universe? You'd probably need a brick wall or something to stand behind, right? If someone is incredibly strong and they're determined to harm you, what are you going to do to withstand that? If someone is really strong, a really good fighter, and they are bent on destroying you and hurting you, what are you going to do? 
See, we have the police, so we can do this very thing, so we can call someone strong who can help us. We have the military, so that if there's a bad country who wants to hurt our country or one of our allies, we can call the military and say, please come help us. Please be strong for us. We have the police and we have the military as examples of people that we call when we're weak and they're strong. And if we don't have strong allies and resources, what are you and I going to do when we're in a situation like that where someone wants to harm us? Who's bad and who's strong? We need help. It's been proven that we need help, but a real problem isn't the bully on the playground. It's not the bully in the office. A real problem is not bad guys with knives and guns who want what's in our home. A real problem is not North Korea or Russia with missiles who want to see America go down. Those are problems. But they're weak problems compared to our real problem because our real problem is that there are spiritual forces that want us eternally destroyed. That's our real problem. There are spiritual forces of evil that want you and I eternally destroyed because there is a spiritual realm. We know that, right? The physical realm is not the only realm. In fact, it's not the most significant realm. The spiritual world and realm is the most significant realm. And that's what we need to understand today, that we are in a battle. Whether we can see it with our eyes or not, the battle is happening today. The devil has declared war against Christians. And he's strong, and he's bad, and he wants our demise. They have the power and the tools and the smarts to hurt us. And worse than that, we're puny. And we're weak. And we're easy pickings for the devil. Because they're not physical enemies, are they? They're spiritual enemies. They're unseen. How do you fight someone you can't even see? How are you supposed to do that? Even though big, strong, bad guys are big, strong, and bad, at least we can see them with our eyes and prepare some sort of defense. Right? Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. At least we can prepare some sort of defense against people we can see and people we know exist. I mean, right? That's what it was with David and Goliath. Goliath was much, much bigger and stronger than David, but at least David could see Goliath. At least he knew that if I sunk a rock into his skull, Goliath would go down. But how do physical beings like you and I put up a defense against spiritual bad guys we can't even see? And that's our third problem, because our problem number one is that evil forces want us dead. Problem number two is we're puny. And problem number three is we can't even see them with our eyes. We have three big problems. But I'm here to tell you today that it gets so much worse than this even. Because we're told that these spiritual bad guys are rulers and kings and authorities in the cosmic world. They're not general spiritual bad guys. They are the smartest of smart. They are the baddest of bad. They are the strongest of strong. And they hate us. Is that a problem? Before we get to the context of God, that's a problem, right? They're strong. They're bad. They're smart. And they want us destroyed. And they're clear about it. And they're led, this entire army is led by the ruler of darkness, the devil himself. See, the devil used to be with God in heaven, didn't he? He used to be an angel. His name was Lucifer, and that name causes us to recoil now when we hear that word going, oh, Lucifer, that means Satan. But Lucifer, the name Lucifer, meant morning star. That's what the name meant, morning star. 
And Satan, Lucifer, was an angel in heaven with God. But he became filled with pride, and Lucifer sought to usurp the authority of God. And as soon as he did that, he turned to darkness. And as soon as Satan turned to darkness, what did God do? He kicked him out of heaven. Because that's what God does with darkness. He doesn't fellowship with darkness. As soon as someone turns to darkness, they're out. And that's what happened to Lucifer. He was filled with pride. He turned to darkness, and God punted him from heaven. And then he became, as you and I know, Satan, the devil, the ruler of evil. And now with all his pride and all his power and all his scriptural wisdom, because he does have scriptural wisdom, and with all his deceptions, he has declared war against Christians. He's declared war against us. When someone declares war against you, do you have an option not to fight? Ah, no worries. I'm not going to fight this one. Thanks anyway. No, when someone declares war against you, the war's happening. You only have one option. Fight back. That's your only other option. So Satan, with all his pride, his power, his wisdom, his deceptions, has declared war against Christians. Do you remember Joseph in Genesis, the story of Joseph? Joseph was his, was his father's son, was his father Jacob's favorite son. Maybe you remember that story. And J Jacob had many sons. He had many sons. J uh, Joseph had a lot of half-brothers. But Jacob was the favorite, right? He was the favorite. Excuse me, Joseph and Jacob. I'm saying their, words back, their names backwards. But Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And he gave him one day this coat of many colors, this nice-looking coat. And his brothers saw him wearing this coat. And they hated Joseph. And they hated that coat. Because all it meant to them was Joseph was the favorite. So what did they do to Joseph? They threw him into a big pit. They sold him into slavery. And that was instead of killing him because the, well, some of the brothers said, let's just kill him. Let's be done with him. And then one guy said, no, I have a better idea. Let's pretend he's dead. Let's tell our father that he's dead, that an animal killed him. But we'll actually throw him into a pit and we'll sell him into slavery. Because we hate him. Because we're jealous of him. Because... Dad loves Joseph more than he loves us. And that's the kind of hatred the devil has for us. He hates us. We are God's desire and, and treasure. He loves us specially and uniquely. And God gives his children special presents, doesn't he? Like grace and salvation and tender love. And the devil, although he hates God most of all, he can't defeat God. The devil can't defeat God. It would be useless vain, fool's errand to try to hurt God himself. So you know what he does? He takes his energy, he takes his hatred towards God, and he focuses all his energy and all his attention on God's most treasured creation, his people. The devil will seek to hurt God by hurting those whom God loves, and that is crafty. That's crafty. Because he wants to hurt God, but he can't hurt God directly. So how is he going to hurt God? He's going to hurt us. See, if you wanted to hurt me most of all, you wouldn't try to hurt me. Not if you were smart. I'm strong. I might be able to fight you off. Plus, I have something that means more to me than my well-being, my family's well-being. Do you see that? I'm strong, and I have someone that means more to me than me, my family. If you really wanted to hurt me, you would try to hurt my family, not me. Please don't try that, but... My family is weaker than me, that's just honest, and most of my family is just weaker than me, but my family means more to me than anything. So if you had to hurt me, if you wanted to hurt me, what would be really crafty and really devious is to seek to hurt them so you can hurt me. And that, guys, is truly evil. It's really evil. And that is the devil. 
He cannot hurt God. So he attempts to hurt God by hurting God indirectly through his people, by harming and possibly killing God's weaker family members, you and I. And that's unfortunately the tip of the iceberg. The devil is so bad, so powerful, so crafty, and so full of hatred towards us. And he has an army of disciples who think the exact way that he does. So the devil is not our only enemy. Just like Hitler wasn't the only enemy of the Jews, was he? Hitler had an entire army who thought like Hitler did who hated the Jews like Hitler did, because perhaps one really strong and smart Jewish man could take down Hitler one-on-one, -on -one, right? And certainly, if all the Jews came together to defeat Hitler alone, they could accomplish that task without great difficulty. But Hitler had the German army wrapped around his little finger. They were filled with the same propaganda, the same hatred. They had weapons and they hated the Jews. And now the Jews had a real problem on their hands because the German army wanted the Jews destroyed. And that's similar to the problem that you and I have. Not only are we fighting the devil ourselves one-on-one -on -one, or Wyoming Valley Church against the devil or the Universal Church against the devil. No, we're fighting an entire army of spiritual fallen angels who want us destroyed. I hope we're getting the picture because this is important before we turn the corner, and we will turn the corner because I know this probably sounds a little depressing. But Satan and his cosmic invisible army have heard every lesson we've preached through Ephesians. They've heard them all. They know exactly what our goals are. They know exactly what we're trying to accomplish. They know that we want the glory of God and that we want to follow Jesus with our lives. And if we can accomplish that goal, we're going to hurt their kingdom. In fact, we're probably going to destroy their kingdom. And this spiritual army is not going to let it happen, not easily. So what are you and I going to do to resist such an enemy and to stand firm in our faith and even go forward against the evil army and knock down their gates, knock down their kingdom? What are you and I going to do? Is a spiritual pep rally like today going to be enough? Is this enough? Is determination enough? Is motivation enough? Is unifying together as a church enough? It's not, sadly. Because even if we're greatly motivated, even if we're greatly determined, even if you and I are greatly unified, the spiritual forces of evil are so much stronger than we are. They're stronger. So with motivation, along with motivation, along with determination, and along with unity, and along with these things, because we do need these things, we need strength. Power. Do you see why Paul says what he says? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is our only hope today. We have one hope, is that we can get the strength of the Lord. If we have the strength of the Lord, the entire battle will turn. Right? You remember that from the Old Testament, right? The Israelites, there's so many battles, they had no business winning. The armies were so vast, they were going against countries that hated them, and so much bigger and stronger, but one thing turned every battle. They were strong in the name of the Lord. Because there is hope. 
although the devil is determined and strong and invisible and evil and unified in destroying every single one of us, we do have hope. And I'm happy to say this today. We have one who is more powerful than the devil. We have one who is wiser than the devil is crafty. We have one who makes the forces of evil shake with fear. We have one whose very name is the source of all of Satan's nightmares. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Is he your savior? Do you discipline yourself to be near Jesus? See, the Lord is our victory. The Lord is our victory. He is our one hope against this evil army that seeks our destruction. And if we fight with the power of Jesus, teamed with our motivation, teamed with our determination, and teamed with our unity to defeat the devil, we will stand against the schemes of the devil. We will resist Satan's arrows of temptation, and we will even advance against Satan's defense over guarding those souls who are still in darkness. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if we fight in the power of the Lord, we will gain victory? We will gain an advantage. This one catalyst exists in either defeating the devil or having him destroy our souls. The unbridled power of the Lord. Guys, the devil hates this message because he knows it's true. He knows that this kind of message brings us to the doorstep of victory over him. He hates it. He doesn't want us talking about the Lord. He doesn't want us talking about strength and armor and things that can actually help us turn the battle. He wants us destroyed. And if we know this and we believe this today, we have one step left in order to take the fight to the devil and defeat the devil. We have to open the door. We have to open the door and fight in the name and the power of the Lord. See, but motivation isn't enough. If I stand here today and tell you, be motivated, be encouraged, be determined to fight the devil, that's not enough. You have to gain the strength that God provides. So that's a corporate goal we're trying to accomplish here today. But this is also means these are individual steps we have to take. I can't open the door for you and you can't open it for me. We each have to open this door and say, Lord, I need your strength. I need your power. Every battle in scripture that shouldn't have been won was fought the exact same way, right? One, I mean, one step, one battle was all fought the same way. They either fought in the name of the Lord and they won, or they relied upon their own power and their own smarts and their own abilities, and they lost. It was that simple. It was that simple. That's why David returned praise to the Lord after his defeat over Goliath. That's why Daniel returned praise to the Lord after surviving the lion's den. That's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego returned glory to the Lord after enduring the fiery furnace. That's why the Apostle Paul returned glory to the Lord after every spiritual victory because it was not them who did it. It was him. It was the Lord himself. Every spiritual battle that's ever been won, it was the Lord who won it. And all we're doing today is we're cracking open this door because this is what Paul tells us in verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. 
For the next several weeks, we're going to learn about how to fight in the power of our Lord, how to put on God's entire armor so we can stand against the schemes of the devil. And I ask you to join us on this journey, Battles of the Rich and Godly. It's going to be a mini-series in the book of Ephesians, but for the next several weeks, we're going to talk about how to put on the armor of God and how to use it properly against the devil. Would you take that journey with us? Would you come back for the next several weeks, prepare your mind, prepare your heart, and be convinced that you need God's strength? But we don't leave you without application this week, okay? First of all, you must have a relationship with Jesus through faith. Before any of this can happen, before any of this battle can be won, you have to know Jesus. You have to follow him. You have to believe in his grace, in his salvation. And if you do, here's your application for today. You must understand that you are in need of him. Generally, but you are in need of him every single hour, every single day. Is that something you're aware of? Is that something you're aware of that you need the Lord every single hour of every single day? I don't know if that's something that I always am convinced of because I take a lot of time off from God. There are times that I just put it on cruise control and I coast and I'm not worried about the battle. And unfortunately, the, the battle is coming to me regardless. But sometimes I'm like, ah, I had a pretty good week last week or I've learned enough. And I coast. I have to be convinced. You have to be convinced that we need him every single hour. The people that we look up to in Scripture knew that. They called upon the Lord. They sought his strength. They remembered his power. If we forget this truth, we're going to lose ground to the devil. He's strong, he's smart, and he's determined. If we recall this truth, we will give ourselves the best opportunity to stand our ground in the midst of the spiritual battle that is raging on. Because I'll say this again, we are not strong on our own. None of us, myself included. We are only strong in the name of the Lord. Are you convinced you need him? If, two, if you are, number two is this, go to him. Go to him daily. Go to him every morning. Go to him every evening. Go to him and confess your inability and beg for his power and beg for his might. Beg for his armor to equip you so like countless saints before you, you might gain a victory that you have no business winning against the devil. And if and when you gain that victory, and you will if you understand your need for him, and you will if you go to him daily, if and when you gain that victory, be fully convinced and fully ready to return the glory to the Lord because it will not be because of your strength. It will be because of his. I'll say it again. It will not be because of your strength. It will be because of his. That's the pattern of every saint that we look up to. They understood their need for Jesus. They went to Jesus. And when Jesus gave them the victory, they returned the glory to Jesus. It's simple, right? It's a simple process. If you want to gain victory, if you want to glorify the Lord, if you want to do his will, that's your pattern. Repeat and start over and do it again tomorrow. I'm in need of him. I will go to him and he will give me the victory and he will get glorified for that victory. So the application finalizes with this. Will you seek the Lord today. And I mean today. I don't mean today in the general version of every day that you get. I mean today. Because I don't know if tomorrow is coming. Will you seek the Lord today? Will you seek his word like a weakling? 
fighting against a cosmic power who desperately needs his strength. Because you are. And so am I. Will you discipline yourself? Will you seek him in prayer like you know an entire army of evil is pursuing your eternal destruction? If so, you will discipline yourself. Will you commit to his church and unify with his people so the devil will see you're not alone in this battle? Will you commit to your church? Because if you pick on me, you pick on all of Wyoming Valley Church, and I want that to be said of every single one of us. If you pick on me, you pick on WVC. And yes, I know that rhymes. If you pick on me, you pick on all of us, devil. You get me, you get us all. That's how we turn the battle as well. And will you set Christ's commandments before you each and every day as if you know they're the only effective blueprint for victory? Because we have to remember this. That's why the first six, five chapters of Ephesians are there. It's easy to just skip to chapter six and go, get in the battle, fight the battle, win the battle. But we have to remember what Paul taught us. We have to remember what the goal is. We have to remember the commandments he's given us. We have to use the blueprint he's given us to defeat this battle. It's silly to just rage into the battle with the devil and go, all right, let's do this. Go the way he taught you. Remember how he's instructed you. Imitate God. Walk in love. Cast off your old nature. All the things he's taught us. If we do, if we do these things that we just mentioned, we will change the impossible mission to possible. And I'll even say it this way, a guaranteed victory. Because God does not give us these things in vain. If he tells us that we need his strength, and he tells us that when we get his strength, we will win, he means it. He means it. Will you today be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might? And will you join us for the rest of this mini-series? I hope that you will. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this. I don't know how well we represented the text here today, Father, but I give this glory to you because you have taught us and trained us to think that we are not strong on our own, that we need your strength. And I, help, I hope that you'd help us remember that today. Help myself remember that. Help my people here today remember that, that we are not our own. We are your people, and that's important to remember in this battle. Father, I want to see us advance against the evil the darkness, the spiritual forces around us. I want Wyoming Valley Church to be a beacon of light in this community. I want souls saved. I want people mature. I want little Christs running all over this community, glorifying your name, doing your will, preparing to meet you. But Father, in order for that to happen, we ask you today for your strength. We are weak. I am weak. But Father, this is your victory, and this is something that you desire. And when you give us your strength, and we ask that you do. You are the one that will receive the glory. Father, help us. Guide us, guard us, keep us. Help us discipline ourselves for this fight. Help us pray for each other in this fight. Help us to unify. Help us to remember that this battle is raging on, whether we think about it or not, and help us to remember that today. Because we want to do your will. We want you to be glorified. And most of all, we want to be with you for the rest of eternity. Thank you for teaching us this today. We give you all praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.